here's here's another question mm-hmm. for you. If you have to cast, mm-hmm. you're, you're Scrooge. Yeah. No, okay. Like it can't it, be George C. Scott, though, it, right? No, in your real life, you are Scrooge. Uh-huh. Um, or you're the subject of this story. Mm-hmm. Who are the three actors who play your ghosts? Ghosts of Christmas past, mm-hmm. present, and yet to come. Well, I have my Christmas present. And I guess they have to be alive for it to be Christmas present? Nah. Well, then in that case, I'm going to say John Candy. He's just bright and jolly and and yet there's something terrifying about him yeah and that's <laughs> in a lot of that's what a they lot of get his roles in this film the ghost of christmas present has that like i'm gonna speak to you joyfully but you can tell in his eyes he doesn't like scrooge like he knows scrooge is a bad person so i think john candy would be really good at that i don't i don't know that's that was like the first instinct was john candy ghost of christmas present um future like the the scary one yet uh, cri- sorry Ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh-huh. Um, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. I didn't think about that, but that's a pretty good one. Tall. Yeah. Aloof. Aloof. Well, he has no lines, though. That's what's... You're going to totally just not use that beautiful British baritone voice, but... I that's guess, true, but he's got he's got such a yeah. such a unique profile. He does. Um, I don't know. And who, he's got that presence to him. I don't know who my past would be. Maybe Bing Crosby. Really? You know, reach back. No, 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 no. Maybe Rosemary Clooney. God, I do love her. <laughs> and again, I'm pulling from Christmas movies too. Oh here. yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all three of those actors are in Christmas movies. So, I think my past would be Paul Giamatti. Ooh. And he would just be like so obviously a cross between bored and and just berating me. You know, for being so obviously dumb as to need this explained to me, mm-hmm. like my my moral failings. Like when his um, bell, yeah, leaves leaves him, and he's still stubborn enough to think he made the yeah. right choice. Yeah, yeah. There'd, yeah. Be, there'd Paul be a Giamatti lot of that. would slap you in the back. There'd of the be a head, lot of yeah. that Paul Giamatti mumbling, like you, you fucking idiot, <laughs> yeah, yeah. before he walked off. <laughs> and then he has a bottle of wine because sideways is great. Yes, sideways um, is great. What's your what's your present? Present, I think, is the hardest one because, like you said, you've mm-hmm. got a. Present has you know a decent amount of lines and and yeah. they, they they have to they have to straddle that fence between being sort of helpful but also I don't know disdainful or maybe even a little threatening. It's a little threatening. Now most versions I see it's not. He's just a big jolly bowl yeah. of jelly, and which I think is is a mistake. I think you know I like you, you need a, a little bit of an edge to I it. I think all of them have this little again. This, they're trying to teach him a dark lesson here. And a, that's kind of how it is in the book. A you good ghost to Christmas present, I think, would be Jack Nicholson in his prime. Oh, yeah. With be. that grin. Oh, I know. Because, you know, he can play affable, and then he smiles, and yeah. you're like, oh, God, he I'm so uncomfortable. What are you going to do next? <laughs> that's a really good choice. Because that's like, because classic Nicholson is just like a, it's like a cocked pistol. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, and... He's got those eyes too. Yeah, that's a really. But, but you good... still want him to like you. Like you want to, mm. you know, you want him to be your buddy. Everybody in Hollywood wanted to be Jack Nicholson's friend. I feel like they still do. And then um, I got I got something pretty unconventional for Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. What's that? Especially considering that you know it has no lines. Uh, Tom Cruise because he scares the shit out of me mm-hmm. every time. He's too short. Can't do that. It's too short. He can do it. You can put him on blocks. He, he do does it. his own stunts. That's right. He okay, could do. Look, look, he does his own. He does his own stunts. But think of think of him in like the last roles anybody thinks of when they think of Tom Cruise. Like think of him in Tropic Thunder. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Think of him in Magnolia. Yeah. Well, see, I just think about the Mission Impossible films. Well, it, that's all he's yeah, done because, in 10 years. Yeah, you know, when and, and when he's the leading man, mm-hmm. in some ways, I think those are his least interesting movies. Oh, I do, too. Which is he's not a, to say that he's not fun to watch as a leading man. Obviously, he is. He's super successful. He's a great character actor. But he's... He's just in so many of the same kind of leading man role mm-hmm. that you forget until you see him in something like Tropic Thunder. Like, mm-hmm. who the, where did this come from, yeah. right? It's so, really yeah. refreshing and, and hilarious. And also those eyes just... I know. They're, they're, they're not right. And so, yeah, I think I think he could pull off a ghost of Christmas cool. yet to come. I don't mm-hmm. know how you'd have to style him up. I don't know yeah. if you would need makeup. I don't. Maybe just stand there. Yeah. Huh. He's intimidating. Yeah, and you just see his eyes and his grin... <laughs> any points that grin yeah another great grin by the way i yeah. mean nothing like jack oh, nicholson's man. but no but but also a grin that can portray a good deal of menace we've seen the memes it's the darkest time of the year the only kind of light you have is firelight candlelight we're talking about the winter solstice i hate it already it's bleak it's dark it's gray white Leaves are gone. Everything's dead. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But the reason I brought up the winter solstice is because it being the darkest time of the year and so on and so forth, uh, on the winter solstice, you would burn the Yule log, which is the biggest log that you had, so that the fire would rage all night long. Is that what Yule means? Yule just means largest available. I have no thing. idea, actually. <laughs> largest available log, Yule log. I don't know because you hear Yule tide carols and so on and so forth. I think Yule, true that, might be something to do with um, the solstice and and Christmas in general. But it was traditional to tell ghost stories around the Yule log. Um, even after the church hijacked the solstice and made it Christmas, there are still some cultures that uh, tell Christmas ghost stories. Uh, London being one of them. England is a huge... They always do Christmas ghost stories. They they have like um, Christmas specials now that are Christmas ghost stories. We all know about the Doctor Who Christmas specials too. But uh, there was a particular writer uh, in the early 1900s that really... Um, found his niche in this Christmas ghost stories. Have you ever heard of M.R. James? Oh, whistle and I'll come to you, my lad. Yes. That story. Yeah, that's a Christmas ghost story. Um, He also wrote The Ash Tree, The Stalls of Barchester Cathedral, which is a Christmas story. A Warning to the Curious, Rats, and Count Magnus. So he was really into writing for Christmas ghost stories. He had like his own... Basically, magazine would come out every year, like a Penny Dreadful, and they would have an M- a new M.R. James Christmas ghost story in them. And now I think like BBC does an M.R. James Christmas ghost thing every year, I feel like, but I don't know if that's 100% true. Even Shakespeare liked a good ghost story, yeah. or at least ghosts in his, his mm-hmm. place. I did too, and I, I guess I didn't realize uh, that this was a tradition for a long time. Uh, I guess the my first introduction to what would be a Christmas ghost story was A Christmas Carol. And so a lot of people, I mean, I get, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of folks are familiar with it. We studied it in seventh grade, and I think that was my introduction to it. Yeah. Which was, like, uh, awesomely the same time that the uh, Sir Patrick Stewart TNT TV version came out. So that I think that was my first introduction. 
And you and I talked off mic beforehand. You you kind of like that version more than this version, right? I, I think I do, and it's for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. I mean, it's not that I think that Patrick Stewart is like definitely or always a better actor than George C. Scott. I think they're both fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, both very sort of classical, you know, theater guys. But the reason I like the Patrick Stewart version better than the George C. Scott version is that. <laughs> It's impossible for me to believe that George C. Scott is capable of joy. Yeah. <laughs> so the transformation at the end yeah. um, just doesn't hit for me. Well, the joy he does seem to get is when he like proves that he's smarter or quicker or meaner than, yeah, than, than everyone. It's the joy of like tripping somebody yeah, randomly yeah, on the yeah. street, you know? He, and that's one thing about this performance I love so much is it's it's... To me, it's like a fresher performance because he is joyfully uh, angry. You know, he laughs when he says Christmas is a humbug, you know. He has a very cynical delight yeah. in uh, his sort of mm-hmm. just raging disappointment in, yeah. well, everything. And and mm-hmm. the thing is, is, with George C. Scott, that just comes off as so effortless. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Even and in it, The Exorcist 3, it, it, when yeah, we in were the talking Exorcist about 3, that. Like the, yeah. Just that world-weary, oh my God, I'm, I have to do this for yeah. another day kind of a vibe that he gives off that he does so well. So um, I just, yeah, it's that, of course, A Christmas Carol, the, you know, the power of the story is whether or not you buy the transformation. If you don't mm-hmm. buy the transformation, yeah. then it's not a very effective story. And it's like when George, when he leans out of the window to yell at the boy, he wakes up, he realizes he is not actually in hell, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah, the, right. yeah. the long night of the ghost has passed and mm-hmm. little street kid uh, is out there, you know, hey boy, what day is it? Well, it's Christmas, Christmas day. Like when, when Patrick Stewart does that, it's mm-hmm. like, I believe the joy coming out of Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart, but when George C. Scott does it, I just want to tell the kid to be careful. Yeah. It, well, we <laughs> talked about this too. There. And what I like about the Patrick Stewart version too, Patrick Stewart starts like laughing with joy and it like almost chokes him because, or it almost chokes Scrooge because Scrooge hasn't laughed in 45 years. And I, I think that was a really interesting take on the characters is Patrick Stewart like convulse laughing because he doesn't know what laughing even is anymore. You know? Yeah. It's just that it's when, interesting. Th- and that, in that scene where he's, where he's turned, Patrick Stewart tells me that this was a guy who had goodness in him, mm-hmm. and you know it was there. It could be teased out, yeah. You know, with the help of his uh, his friendly George supernatural Scott, friends. You just don't believe <laughs> just, there was. He leans out of that any, window. He's got uh, that no. crazy ass hair. Yeah, he does. It's like blowing in the wind, and he's got that crazed smoker's voice. You know, you there, you there. <laughs> like run, kid. Oh my god! Don't, don't ever trust that guy. This this book was, uh, uh, of course, written by Charles Dickens, uh, and. He he had the, Dickens had this sympathy for the poor um, during what they call the hungry forties, uh, the eighteen forties in Victorian England, that caused him to. He was writing newsletters and he was illustra- He was uh, uh, writing captions for illustrations. I mean, he yeah, he was doing nonfiction in the role of like a political right. activist, trying to yes, trying to make people aware of how dreadful particularly poor children mm-hmm. lived and were and were treated and according to um a bbc article from 2017 called the hungry 40s this uh this is a quote uh while walking around manchester dickens was horrified by the sight of families starving on the streets 
he went on uh, the breadth of pro- poverty and post-industrial revolution Manchester was chilling. This was the hungry forties. Britain was experiencing an economic depression. Unemployment was growing exponentially and two consecutive harvests had failed. And the price of everyday foods was beyond the reach of many. So this of course inspired him to write a Christmas Carol because he wanted to get, there really was no middle class. There was the lower class and the upper class. He wanted to get... Kind of like now. Right. He wanted to get the attention of the upper class about, hey, if we don't take care of these, our own, then things are going to get much, much worse. Um, and there's a specific scene where the the backbone of that right there is, is revealed. And it's the scene where uh, the, the ghost of Christmas present reveals ignorance and want that are under his robes. And ignorance being, if we ignore these, the poor and destitute, they will grow to become something we can no longer control. Being criminals, murderers, rapists. That was the the like mainstream thought that Dickens wrote. He was on that train of thought was, hey, if we don't take care of these people, it's just going to get worse. What happened was like around the time Queen Victoria ascended to the throne, most work was still done like on the farm. It was kind of around the time the Industrial Revolution was kicking off. And as the, re- the Industrial Revolution began, more and more families moved into the cities where the wages were higher. And this re- created what we know as slums. So what's that line from um, slightly different time period? But there's a line in, in the movie version of From Hell mm-hmm. where uh, Johnny Depp's main love interest, the, the prostitute with a heart of gold, is uh, describing when she used to live like in rural Ireland, Mary Catherine. Yeah. yeah. But she says something to the effect of we were starving, but we were starving in the open air. Yeah. And that's not the case in, in the London poor, the Victorian era. And uh, it was reported in some places that 500 out of the 700 families lived in a single room. And, um, what became, uh, East London because what the West, West London was the rich and East London was the poor. And, of course, there were workhouses where you slept right next to someone, you worked 12-hour days, and then you might not have had a roof over your head. So think about that when you go to work next time and you're feeling bad. Yeah. Hey, you know, at least you get to come home. When I'm, when I'm complaining about how long Hopefully. I've been sitting at my laptop, I'll remember. Right. Another uh, uh, point of research I found was this book called London Labor and the London Poor by Henry uh, Mayhew, which was uh, written in uh, 1851. And there's a lot of depressing facts in this book um, about how hard it was. They were dealing, uh, uh, most like today with coronavirus, they were dealing with cholera. You know, the poor people who had, you know, some jobs were they were pickpocketers or they were prostitutes. And some people were what are called uh, costermongers, uh, a person who sells goods, especially fruit and vegetable from a handcart in the street. These people were affected greatly by cholera, almost like small businesses here in America. Um, cholera is a waterborne disease, right? I did not do any research. I think on it is. I think it's cholera. a waterborne disease. Okay. Um, which is why it's so much, which is why like upgrades in plumbing and overall sort of civic, sanitation um tend to help control it he um mayhew interviewed a lot of people for this book here's a quote from it uh another costermonger on being questioned and on being told that the information was wanted for the press he replied the press 
I'll have nothing to say to it. We are oppressed enough already. So they, yeah, they, so that, didn't, they didn't even want to help out with this book because they were like, we, good, good to know they trusted the, uh, their, their journalists about as much as, <laughs> as, much uh, as we, we do, do now days, in modern yeah. day America. Um, he said, great you know, strides have been made. <laughs> right. Mayhew goes on to say that a class numbering 30,000 should be permitted to remain in a state of almost brutish ignorance is a national disgrace. If the London costers belong especially to the dangerous class, class, that's a quote, the danger of such a body is assuredly an evil of our own creation, for the gratitude of the poor creatures to anyone who seeks to give them the least is almost pathetic. So before Dickens got into the, the zeitgeist, it was the, the way that people who weren't in the lower class treated the people that were in the lower class was pathetic. And he had some personal experience with this because, of course, his father was sent to a debtor's prison, Mm -hmm. um, which is just what it sounds like. It's where you go when you can't pay your bills. Yeah. And how can you pay your bills when you're in a debtor's (laughs) prison? When you're in a debtor's prison, it's a... They want you to die there. So strange Mm -hmm. trying to convince certain people of that. Um, No. But so, no, so he at a very young age had to go right to work. Yes, he did. uh, Despite obviously being, who in other circumstances, you know, would have been in school and doing very well. Mm Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he had a a hard life actually, which, like, he didn't. I found out he didn't uh, get the rights to this, to a Christmas Carol. He lost the rights to a Christmas Carol. I think it was pretty common at the time, though, yeah. for him to get screwed, yeah. right? I mean, oh yeah, no, all those writers died poor, you know, which is crazy because here we are, you know, hundred and forty years later, still. I mean, there's how many versions of this story? I mean, my God, I tried to look it up and I couldn't, you know. Oh, the number of like recorded theatrical versions? Yeah, Yeah. theatrical versions, radio versions, film versions. I believe the first film version was 1931's Scrooge, and it's only like an hour long. And what's interesting about it is they never really show any of the ghosts. They're just like a light or a shadow. Well, at least with, with past and yet to come. Didn't have the budget for the special effects. Present is still a dude that looks like Almost like Santa. But, yeah, they didn't have the the money to do special effects. So, like... But it works so much better. Like, the ghost of Christmas yet to come is so much creepier when he's just a shadow. Like, I like the hooded fog character that's in this film. the, The 84 version. But it's kind of annoying, too. It's kind of comical because he nods his head, you know. and And then there's that annoying ass gate opening sound every time Scrooge asks a question. (laughs) That is something my friend and I commented on is I was like, watch how many times this sound happens and it will get very annoying. And it was after every question he asked. Well, you know, when you've paid the fee for like the licensing on a sound effect, you want to get your money's worth out of it. It's just, Oh God, I can't even imitate it. It's so bad. But before we jump into the movie, two more famous, two famous Christmas ghost stories are, uh, Smee by A.M. Burge. Have you heard of this story? It's a hiding, I don't think I have. It's a hide-and-seek game that they play on Christmas Eve, and there's 12 of them, but when, they, when they're finished, there's 13. And the whole thing is when you find someone, you say, Smee, and it's like whispered in their ear. It's, it's actually a really um, unnerving no. story. Yeah. Um, and then You're your favorite. You're going to read something now. Your favorite story, um, Turn of the Screw by Henry James. The most tedious writer in English. um, In the history of English. uh, And and that includes Chaucer. Yeah. If you guys have Netflix, uh, Haunting of Bly Manor is based on Turn of the Screw. That story takes place like the narrator is telling that story on Christmas Eve around a fire. Okay. 
so it's not a it's not something that's completely foreign again i mean even in modern more modern times but let's we're, jump in well look we're in a this yeah. is of course a podcast about horror movies yes what is this story's claim to being a horror story that was my next question when we were ju- great let's minds. jump into it. great minds great minds get right into it let's jump into it what makes this a horror movie Obviously, you have supernatural elements. You have ghosts. Yes. Mm-hmm. They are not entirely pleasant. No. In fact, most of them are there to teach him a fucking lesson. Yeah, all of them. And then um, you have a sort of general tone of despair throughout the mm-hmm. movie. I mean... Especially in this version. Yeah. It's so bleak. God, Tiny Tim. <laughs> oh, I know. Just so... They, like, dubbed every line because He's the just... boy they casted is so weak, he can't even <laughs> he say his lines. doesn't look like he can stand up and speak. It's just... I mean, it's uh, great casting, but... Oh, Tiny Tim. I know. Um... <laughs> and there's a scene in this film where that's not in a lot of versions where Tiny Tim is waiting on his dad to get off work on Christmas Eve. And, of course, Scrooge lets himself off early to go to, to the stock exchange. Yeah, and exchange. that's not in the book. It's not. No. Where he goes... I hate uh, to be that guy, though. Yeah, oh, it's not in the book. No, I know. No, and th- we want to point that out because there are so many versions of this film that there are certain scenes in this that make it stick out. He's waiting on his dad to get off work, and, and Scrooge comes out to go to the stock exchange, and... And and it's like, quit, don't beg on this corner, boy. And he's like, I'm not begging, sir. I'm Bob Cratchit's son. There's nothing more adorable than a little uh, disabled, poverty-stricken kid with a British accent. Who's polite as hell. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) polite about, yeah, Yeah. you know, his obvious. And Scrooge is like, well, you're going to have to wait a long time. And then just walks off. It kind of shows that Scrooge, you know, Scrooge was left by his father, you know, basically. And it's kind of like a... I don't know. It's kind of like a shadow of that, I think, you know, because it, we go from that to Scrooge being his second father, you know, at the end. He, George C. Scott gives the kid a kiss, you know, like at the very end of the film. So it, it's just one one uh, extreme to another. But this this movie, if, I mean, if we're discussing it as a horror movie, mm-hmm. this movie, this story, if we're discussing it as a horror yeah, story, sorry, I, I should off say, track on that. it's been in so many different forms, but... Mm-hmm. It has something that you almost can never stand in horror stories. Hmm. It has a happy ending. It does. I Explain yourself. Well, I think... Damn it. I just love uh, the holidays so much, and I really do believe in let's make this bleak time of year as joyful as we possibly can. And I think maybe that's why I love... I mean, this was my first introduction to christmas post santa so this still had that magical part to it so but you it went, was a little more you went from believing in santa to believing in george c scott no because the first version i saw was sir patrick stewart oh, okay version. that's right yeah. you said that um and so i didn't see this movie until about five years ago and now i watch it every december i don't i only watch this version if i can help it but doing research in this i watched other versions uh, a lot of people will will uh, know Michael Caine as Scrooge in Muppet Christmas Carol, which is another uh, beloved version. But again, <clears throat> horror, <laughs> or horror, horror, as my mother says it. Um, I believe that not just the spirits, but the but the poor, and the way they live, and and how you know it's shown as freezing fucking cold in London the year this takes place. And these poor people are, are standing by a fire living under a bridge. I mean, that was true. Like they worked all day to, to make almost nothing and then slept under a bridge 
and then hopefully showed up the next day and had a job to do. You well, know? well, you know, Levi, the free market solves all problems. Does it? Explain. Well, I don't know. I just I, I read it on the internet. Oh, I'm assuming yeah. it's true. Well, it's absolutely <laughs> true. But yeah, so that to me, that's the horror as well as is poverty in London in the 1840s and 50s. Yeah, the whole was horrible. Just the whole situation is dreadful. I mean, life for everyone except the top X percent was just just horrible. So that's certainly, you know, that helps it qualify as a horror movie. The other thing that strikes me, though, or maybe it's greatest, the most obvious reason it's a horror movie is that it's a straight up morality play. Yes, you couldn't I find to bring that up. You couldn't yeah. find, I don't think, a better example exactly. of a straightforward right. morality play. Right. And, you know, there, there's so many versions of this where it almost feels like, God, it's like myth almost. It's like stuck in our... You know, everybody knows who Scrooge is, even if you haven't, or they've heard the word Scrooge sure. or humbug, even if they don't, or bah humbug, you know, which has an interesting tale behind thanks, it. Thanks to Donald Duck. Do you know what the word humbug actually means? I do not. Okay, so this is according to IMDb, and I didn't know this until I read this. The word humbug is misunderstood by many people, which is a pity since the word provides a key insight into Scrooge's hatred of Christmas. So here we go. The word humbug describes deceitful efforts to fool people by pretending to fake loftiness or false sincerity. So when Scrooge calls Christmas a humbug, he is claiming that people only like pretend charity and kindness in a scoundrel effect to delude him, eat each other and themselves. It goes on to say in Scrooge's eyes, he is the one man honest enough to admit that no one really cares about anyone else. So for him, every wish for a Merry Christmas is one more deceitful effort to fool him and take advantage of him. So you're saying that here in about a month and a half, when one of our political parties that ran up trillions of dollars in a deficit suddenly rediscovers its interest in fiscal responsibility, Mm -hmm. we might all yell, humbug. Humbug. Exactly. It's a humbug. Okay. So he's saying Christmas is is fake. Um, And, you know, there are a lot... (laughs) As I get older and, and... converse with more people and I guess start to learn more about other cultures and such there, there are, there's quite a big, big group of people that despise Christmas because of the uh, commercialism and the um, greed. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, the, the greed of it, the materialism of it certainly doesn't make it easier. This, uh, I, I say, as I, well, I almost like want to be I'm like sweating bullets out yeah. of my ass to make sure I get some more presents under that right. tree before the day comes. Oh my God, this is a hard Christmas 2020. I mean, some people are going to get, they're going to get diagnosed with COVID today and they're not going to be able to go see mom and dad for Christmas or aunts and uncles or whatever. You know, I recently was tested because I was scared I wasn't going to have a Christmas either. Uh, but, but you're all negative. good. I'm all good. Yeah. You're COVID proof. It's not, COVID it's not got nothing on you. No, it's, it's not this, comfortable. They put yeah. that swab like into your brain, right? Yeah, and they go both. You <laughs> know, much. they go up both nostrils, and I have God. a deviated septum, so that was not that was not pleasant. Before we before we go on on this one, I want to know what your favorite version of a Christmas Carol is. So I, I like the Patrick Stewart one a lot, mm-hmm. but honestly, if I'm going to sit down and watch one, yeah. I'm going to watch Scrooge with Bill Murray. God. <laughs> I am. I'm going to watch Scrooge with Bill Murray. I don't know why. I guess I'm such a traditionalist, and I love Victorian Christmas. I just can't get behind the 80s uh, TV producer part of it. I just don't. I just don't like it. I don't I don't know why. 
I, but I don't. I love Bill Murray, but I can't. I don't watch that movie. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it maybe once or twice. I think I, I like a lot of things about that movie. Actually, it's not even just Bill Bill Murray. I love the casting for all of the ghosts. Yes. Um, I love the casting uh, for Marley. Yeah. Um, especially what is the the ghost of Christmas present in that movie? Who's the little like fairy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna be one of the most un. It's like the sort of vicious and oh my god! So have you seen unexpectedly the, have you vicious seen the, creatures? Uh, Disney Jim Carrey version, no, the, the computer animated one, no. His portrayal because he plays all the ghosts. Well, Jim Carrey does. does, and Scrooge, and then Gary fucking Oldman is Bob Cratchit. God, awesome! But he's like this creepy little candle fairy, and he like really goes full throttle creepy. It's it's weird. It's weird, and I've seen a lot of creepy versions of uh, Christmas Past. This one was weird. She had like Tina Turner hair, and she was fully dubbed as well. And I think that was to like give her an echo. But I don't know if you go if you ever go back and watch it, you can tell she's dubbed over. But, but I think, but I thought the casting in in Scrooge with Bill yeah. Murray was done really well. And I thought, I, I thought, I thought that he did a really good job. I mean, all the humor in it aside, obviously, it has a very different tone. Yeah. Than than the classical <clears throat> excuse me classical treatment of it but but I just thought they did a really good job of updating it like to the eighties yeah which you know were drowning in greed in their own way yeah and, they were and, and uh, that that like his profession and that environment um, and the fact that you know Bill Murray's freaking hilarious I appre- I appreciate the crap out of that like do a different version of this I get it there's been two hundred versions you know. But for me, the like subtle changes in this film is what makes it so different than other versions, and of course the bleakness, which I've talked about. You know, but you I like, love. I mean, you, you you just prefer the the standard sort of traditional theatrical treatment of the story. Yeah, I I I I mean, I would never. Yes, I would say that. But I fell in love with. I've seen it on. I've seen it on stage. I fought, I've well, yeah, I mean, you have a theater version. background. Yeah. You you studied theater. Yes. I've been to, in my life, maybe three plays. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, you can do this play so well on stage because of that, the atmospheric. And, and most of it takes place in his bedroom, you know, because he's technically dreaming yeah. or whatever. Um, so I've seen I've seen a really neat production of it. This version has a scene that's not in the book or any other version. It's the exchange scene, which is like one of my favorite scenes because, you know, traditionally the the guys coming in asking for money for the poor come yeah. to his office. Well, they were old Bob Cratchit's trying to keep yeah. his hands warm enough to keep working. Exactly. He's at the exchange. They're at the exchange in this film. Um, and at the exchange, Scrooge refuses to accept payment from his fellow clients uh, when his fellow clients offer uh, to buy corn. And this implies that Scrooge is a merchant, not a money lenderer, as in the novel and most film versions. Instead of charging excessive interest, he he likely became wealthy by charging excessive prices for food. What, I Like, why would they do that, though, in this version? Just to, to have something different? I mean, it does show how cold and how good of a... Because he says it's... They say, well, that's not fair, Scrooge. And he goes, no, it's not fair. It's business. Which... You know that line's not in the in the book or any other version. Is that why they have this scene to show that he is a clever businessman, but he's a cruel businessman as well? Well, I mean, it's just business might have been the rallying cry of the eighties, right? Yeah, because this I was eighty four. Yeah, yeah. But this was made British. Was Brit- did 
was British booming? The British boom of the 80s? Was that happening? I think... God, we're so dumb when it comes to other countries. We but, really are. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But it, I, I would assume that... That's when uh, the Iron Lady was in off... Was yeah. The, the Prime Minister. Reagan and Thatcher, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. would assume that they enjoyed a... Well, that some of them anyway. Yeah. Just like some of us enjoyed a, a bit of an economic boom. What's your, um, what's your favorite scene in the film? I think... Because I, I just kind of told mine, which was the exchange scene, because it's it's the the most clever you get to see Scrooge and who he is as a businessman and why people are put off by him, I guess. It's a bit of a strange answer, given what I, I said before about the scene, um, but uh, it's it's still George C. Scott leaning out of that window. Yeah, I love that During scene. that, in his, you know, his transformation, mm-hmm. understanding what's happened, that the night has passed and all that. And even though I struggle with that because I can't completely buy George C. Scott as ever being happy, I just mean as a human being. Yeah. Um, uh, he's still a fantastic actor and it's still a fantastic scene. Yeah. Um, and also it seems to me that, like, that's the scene where, like, I think I'm repeating myself, but it's not just the scene where, like, the actor is going to probably make his biggest and most personal, like, contribution. Mm-hmm. But it's also just what the film leans on as a morality. Play. Yeah, it's so hard to ignore. If I, other than that, it would probably be um, the scene where Marley shows up. His reaction to that. Yeah. Um, so I had this question a long time ago on why Marley has his jaw tied up. So I did a little bit of research. So if some of you aren't familiar with the story. Um, Scrooge's old partner comes back to visit him as a specter in the night. He's got chains and stuff wrapped around him, which are the chains he forged in life. But he also has this like piece of cloth holding his mouth that's tied on the top of his head, holding his mouth shut. And the reason for that is, and when he removes it, his mouth gapes open disgustingly. And in some films, it's a lot more exaggerated. But in this one, it was just the actor like opening his mouth real wide, which was kind of disturbing to me. But uh, when Marley's ghost removes the cloth from around his head and from under his chin, his lower jaw drops agape before he starts to speak. When a person dies, all of their muscles relax and the jaw tends to drop wide open. Oh, yes. They yeah, create, tie the hanky around the yeah, head to keep the mouth shut. Creating what some see as an undignified, if not ghastly, last image of the deceased. <laughs> I like the idea that you can be dead and be dignified. Yeah. Well, they do the same today. They put makeup on, you know... It's that's something I've never really been a fan of doing. Oh, it's disgusting. When funerals, the whole, the open I don't, casket. I thing. don't do it, and, and I don't. I don't care what the family thinks about me not paying my respects. I don't give a damn. I want to remember them the way they were in life, and not as a made-up doll. Yeah, I've, in a casket. Uh, I'm the same way. I am. Um, like I've seen. Well, I guess twice when I was younger mm-hmm. at funerals at open caskets and yeah no. I didn't yeah I I went I actually never went again once and yeah I'll never do it again and I I'm sure when I mean when my fam- members of my family pass I won't do it either like it's just not no yeah why would you want to I don't I don't know I don't know why that's an expected thing and it's shown as like disrespectful if you don't do it I don't I don't know if it's actually is seen that or that's just my fucked up family. But it's yeah. seen as disrespectful, kind of, if you don't do no, it. No, I know. It's just traditional. You're supposed yeah. to go up there and... I, I'm not sure what the purpose of the ritual is. It's just the, 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 just the shared disgust and horror mm-hmm. at the at the side of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what the point of it is, either. We do get that scene in this film where the casket drives by Scrooge, and we hear Scrooge. 
<laughs> um, I, I another version of this film I really like is Mickey's Christmas Carol. Although they, I think they skip, they skip one of the ghosts in that version. I can't remember which one it is. It might be, it might be past. They just go straight to present and then future. And well, I mean, because it's a twenty-minute children's movie. You Donald know? Duck's final form was as Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh no, this is uh, Uncle Scrooge, Donald Duck's brother. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he of course Uncle Scrooge plays Scrooge in the Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, I don't know why this story stuck with me so much. It, it might be because of goodwill towards men and blah blah blah. George C. Scott's performance is incredible. The I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. The guy who plays the professor in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, plays Bob Cratchit. What is his name? Also, the guy who plays the Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood Men in Tights plays um, Fred, uh, Scrooge's nephew. David Warner is Bob Cratchit. I really like him as an actor. He's been in other things. He's um, very, very British. Yeah, he's in Titanic, Tron. He's in the in the Mouth of Madness. There we go. One of the John Carpenter trilogy. Yeah, Apocalypse trilogy. Well, here's a here's a deeper question for you about mm-hmm. about the film as a whole. Do you think, or the story as a whole? Mm-hmm. Do you think the idea that a person can be redeemed? is more or less believable now than it was. Do you think we have a harder or an easier time with that? The idea that, uh, you know, well, we're that also... some sort of spiritual experience can change a person's heart. Okay, let's use this for... Let's just talk about this for an example. You've got uh, conspiracy theory people. So with that logic, if they had some form of terrifying experience to make them change their minds that these conspiracies are ridiculous there is no such thing as um hillary clinton being a lizard monster you don't know that technically it would change their minds but i don't think what what was you've told me this stat is that there's proof that when you try to convince someone against their beliefs on like a social media platform that it only makes them dig their feet deeper Yes, and specifically when you try using facts and evidence mm-hmm. and logic. Yeah. So that it, that it has the, the complete opposite of the effect that you want. So, this day and age, I would say it would almost most definitely take a supernatural experience for people to change their, their minds on things. Um, because we, with the internet and the stupidity that gets thrown out in the junk and and crap that just feeds people's beliefs. Any belief you want can be fed by the internet to make you feel like you're a genius. Yeah, of course. The the anti-vaxxers, you know, um, the, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. QAnon, Canon, whatever. Uh, the internet fuels this. And so with the internet, I feel like you would have, now that we have the internet, you would have to have a, like a supernatural experience to change your fucking mind. But I, I don't know. That's probably true. But in this case, like what what gets changed, we're not just talking about changing Scrooge's mind about how people ought to be treated. I mean, you're talking about changing his... I guess I was oversimplifying it. It's like... Well, or Yeah, I just mean, I think, you know, we're sort of talking about a, an, a spiritual overhaul, right, of mm-hmm. a person, uh, or at least a psychological one, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily the same, I think, as... Is changing someone's mind about what is or isn't true. Yeah. Um, 
But in this case, it's like he's sort of infused with a generosity that he didn't previously possess. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he maybe someone just like drops a little bit of acid and and that you know <laughs> well, that, that, that's a supernatural experience. That's a fair point with some of the research they're doing with psychedelics yeah, I've heard about now that with, and, with uh Mushroom with uh, psychedelic mushrooms, yeah, and uh, yeah. I think uh, several other compounds and some that they're Reset, like they they said something about like resetting your brain, like it like it resets it. Yeah, almost. I just think they're learning all kinds of things yeah. about you know that apparently there some of those substances help. We're not telling mind. you to go out and abuse psychedelics, ladies and gentlemen. Not well, not unless you bring us some, or if you want to have a. a uh, supernatural experience with uh, past, present, and future. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously we obviously. Everyone wants then and now want wanted does want to believe that that kind of a transformation is possible. It's mm-hmm. the it's the power of the story. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if we have any way of knowing if we are more or less jaded now when it comes to believing in that mm-hmm. than the original audience would have been. <laughs> <laughs>